Thank you. Thank you, Craig. Thanks for a very warm welcome, and I really appreciate it. And, and uh, I was going to say something nice there, but I won't. Actually, it hadn't happened to me today, but uh, normally when I, my wife and I, Priscilla, travel together quite a bit and speak together. And so uh, when I come on my own, <laughs> people always go, is Priscilla coming? And I go, no, she can't make it. All oh, right, OK. You're on your own then? All oh, right. She's actually over in Cambridge uh, and uh, she's with her. We have uh, six, seven grandchildren, six granddaughters and one little boy. So four daughters, six granddaughters, and one little boy. Uh, and uh, he's, uh, his name's Charlie. So uh, he's six now. But uh, about six months ago, <clears throat> he came in one day and he said, he said uh, to my daughter, Deborah, Mommy, he talks like that because he's, uh, he's from Cambridge. And uh, <laughs> anyway, he really does, actually. It's very posh. His two uncles on his father's side are called Giles and Hugo. So you, you kind of get you kind of get the sort of family they are. I have I never met anybody called Giles before, uh, and uh, he said, "Mummy, God has spoke to me for the first time." And she said, "Well, what did he say?" He said, "Well, I was singing my hymns of praise while bouncing on my trampoline," and he said, "God spoke to me." She said, "What did he say?" And Charlie said, "He said, bravo." I mean, if the first thing God says to you is well done, it's not bad, sure, it's not. Funny thing is, it's, uh, sorry, I'm, I'm sort of, get, when you get old, you ramble a bit, but uh, you'll like this. Uh, when we did his de- baby dedication a number of years ago, uh, the, the family aren't, uh, aren't church goers or anything, but his uh, other granny said to me, Paul, did you realize that uh, my father was Dean of Wales Cathedral? And my grandfather was Bishop of Chester. I said, no, I didn't. She said, and she said, in fact, my, my boys are the first generation where we haven't had a priest, her words, not mine, in the family. I, I knew what she meant. In the family uh, for 150 years. And she said, what with you being a priest? Which I thought was quite nice. Uh, maybe Charlie would be a priest as well. So it was, quite, it was quite fascinating, and you, you, you see something during the generations. So that's what I want to talk about today. I want to do something a little bit different, uh, and for some people, maybe just slightly out of their comfort zone, but that's okay. Uh, and I'm going to talk about building an intergenerational church, and uh, subtitled The Myth of the Next Generation. Let me read to you a few verses, which I'm going to do something that I hate other people doing. I'm going to read some verses and just sort of mention them, because I... I want to read the Bible and then talk about what I want to talk about. So Galatians, uh, Philippians chapter 3, and Paul uh, says this, breaking into his, uh, his talk, Not that I have already obtained all this or, or have already, already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do. Forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. The context, of course, is that Paul is in prison. And uh, uh, while we know that in a few short years he was executed, he still believes that God has more for him to do. He's not finished yet. I'm not finished the course. He's not talking about salvation. He's talking about the, the work that God has for him to do on earth. 
And I think it's incredible that even at that latter part of his life, he still believes that God's got something for him to do. Whenever I retired in 2011, I, hadn't, I was still 59, and someone came up to me at the end and said, Paul, God hasn't finished with you yet, which, which was news to me because I never thought that he had finished with me. <laughs> And uh, whenever, I, whenever I hear people talk about passing their baton on, I get a bit nervous about it because the only place I see that happening in Scripture is when people die. And I don't intend to do that for quite a few years just at the minute. Uh, you know, if you want to devalue and demobilize a group of Christians, go ahead. Get everybody to hand over their baton to a young gun and leave them to cheer other people on. Now, the last thing I want to do is to reduce the over 40s to a cheering squad. You can still cheer when you're running. And that's what I want to talk about today. Can I get an amen there? You see, I think think sometimes we've we've talked about people carrying their baton, or if you're an American, baton. And that we carry this baton. And of course, what I believe is this, that we all carry a baton uh, uh, right through our lives, uh, but but at, at various stages in our life development, that, what that looks like changes. So what happens is this. We pass from one stage of life to another. Teens turn into 20s, 20s turn into 30s, etc. And every time you make a switch in your life, and this is really important, that I've found this over my lifestyle, my lifetime, there's a different mindset, a different lifestyle, and a different anointing. Everybody has a race to run, and everybody has a baton to hold. And we're, we're desperate to get young people into the church. And, and of course, we do want that. But my premise is this, that we want everybody to play their part, whatever age they are, in church. Now, every, I think every 10 years or so, now it, it varies, but just for the sake of clarity today, I think every 10 years or so, something shifts in your life. You know, when you, whenever you're a teenager, you become 20, something shifts. You're in your 20s, something shifts. And when you, and you move into your 30s, was my, the most depressive birthday I ever had. I don't know what, 40 didn't, 50 didn't, 60 didn't, and the other one probably will coming up. But, but honestly, because I realized I was 30, I thought to myself, I'll never play for Northern Ireland football team. <laughs> I never, there was never any chance of me playing for it. But men do fantasize about stuff like this. And I, I sort of imagine Billy Bingham giving me a ring one night and saying, listen, we're short a few guys, could you come down? I'll get you a kit and you can get a game tomorrow. And, and it's just something, something shifted in me. And, and I think that we've got, to, we've got to be aware what one phase of our life looks like so that we can move into the next part of our life. And so we've got to successfully negotiate that transition and move hopefully seamlessly into the new phase. I think the problem has occurred and I've seen it happen where there's a two-stage approach, active hand-on and work for God and then put out the pasture. I, honestly, I've seen it quite often. And, and the problem, but the other problem arises when we try to persist in one stage of our life when we should have moved on to the next. And that's a big difficulty as well. Now, I think if we're going to build a lasting, thriving church, we need to do age and stage appropriate things. So, for instance, I, with my grandchildren, you know, uh, when we get together, we put ABBA on and we dance. And I dance as well. And honestly, it's great fun. But, but seriously... I, you don't want to see me dancing to Abba. Honestly, it's just embarrassing. It's terrible because my top half moves at a different rate than my, my bottom half. 
And uh, so you've got to be careful. For instance, don't tell young people to be sensible and balanced. Excess should be their middle name. But we want that excess channeled into the kingdom of God. Now, the reason why I think the church is so mixed up at times is because we've embraced a set of, I suppose, worldly values, to be honest with you. And, and what you, friends, I've found, and I've done it, that if you publicly promote 20-somethings in your church, you find a drop-off in the 40-somethings. One of the biggest mistakes I ever made in our church in CFC was that when we were looking for new elders, I said publicly we wouldn't consider anybody over the age of 40. Now, the sentiment, of course, was that we wanted you. I know you're out, Craig. Sorry, that's it. Leave now. Okay. Now, do you, do you, understand, do you understand the problem? Because, you know, I, I, the sentiment behind it was we want some more young people involved in their leadership. But actually, the message that communicated to anybody over 40 was they're out. They're done. They're finished. There's, no, there's nothing for them to do. And without a change of mandate, 40-somethings leave the church. And, and, and some of them go to a smaller church because they let them play the drums or something like that. So, so you've got to be really careful about that. When you're 50-something, if you made it through church and you're in your 50s, church is a great place because your kids are now doing. They're now up at the front doing something. So you, there's a change in your, in your idea and in your, in your mindset. So the reality is, the real challenge is, we've got to guard and promote the transitions between the various life stages we've all got to go through. You see it with nature. You see it with butterflies, you know, and those other wee things that are in, what are they called? Cocoons, that's it. Everybody wants long-term success. But I think that with every stage in your life, you've got to reinvent yourself. And I, that's, what, that's what Priscilla and I were, were able to do and pick up the mandate and identity of that age. And each stage requires a death because something changes. It's a bit like Jesus said in John 12, except a corn of wheat falls into the ground and dies. There's a sense, time of loss, when you pass on to the next phase of your life. Uncertainty. But you learn to let go of that stage, you move into the next stage. And, and I personally have passed through six stages of my life, each with a different mindset, lifestyle, and anointing. It's not the journey of everybody, but if you were brought up in church, it probably is your journey. If you got converted when you were 40, then it's, it's probably slightly different. But the reality is... Um, uh, there's just something changes. Now, what I'm going to do this morning is, I know that you sent all your teenagers out, but that's okay, uh, because we'll pray for them. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just make a comment on each stage of life and then get that age group to stand, and we're going to pray for you. Okay? Now, if you, if you were 29 uh, last week and 30 yesterday, tough luck. You've got to stand in the 30s, Okay? <laughs> It's just one of those things. Stage one. Now, there's, there's a whole stage of children, which I'm not going to address because it's, it's too complex and complicated. Uh, but we acknowledge that's an incredible stage of life. But at some stage, you, you, you pass into your teens. And uh, I call it discovery time. Discovery time. And it's a time when what happens is you move from parental faith or preconceived faith, if you want to put it like that, to original belief and personal faith. Now, for some, if you're in a certain tradition, it's confirmation. Isn't that right? You confirm the vows that were made on your behalf at your baptism and christening. That's what happens. Now, if you come from a non-conformist background like me, you go to summer madness and you get saved. 
Do, do you understand? Now, what I'm trying to say, it's exactly, it's the same thing. Something happens, you spend a weekend, something, a house party, whatever you want to call it, and, uh, and, and you, you confirm your faith that has been growing in you and has been there for quite a while. You find, particularly in Northern Ireland, that a lot of teenagers have a few attempts at this here. I mean, a lot of people get saved 50, 60 times. You know, and it depends what, what you're meeting, what meeting you go to. You know, every week they get saved because you get sweets. <laughs> you find that teenagers uh, in, in this stage often lead, lead a double life. Uh, they're, they're, they're active, they're sincere in their faith around their parents and church. But when they go to school, it's a completely different ballgame. It's really difficult to be a Christian in school these days. Uh, they have a discovery of who they are and what they believe is fought on a minefield of growing sexual consciousness, image consciousness and peer pressure. Now, we need more teens in church. We do. We need, but we need to give them room to be honest, to mess up, to fail and generally do dumb things because they're going to do them anyway. But they need to meet Jesus for themselves. Somewhere along the line, they have to have an encounter with the risen Christ. Have to have original, personal faith in Jesus. And they shouldn't be exposed, forced into experiencing God the way we insist they should. It might look slightly different. So, it's discovery time. And if you have teenagers, you'll know all about it. If you're a teenager, would you, would you stand? Sorry, you might, you might be, there might be any here because they've all gone out, year 12, sixth form, but that's okay. Have we got one here? Have we got, have we got one, a token one? That would be difficult. Well, let's pray for them, okay? Because, Father, we want to thank you for the teens that are associated with Hope Church, Hope Community Church. We thank you for every one of them. And, and Father, we, you know, you know the, the, the stage of the journey that they're on in their faith or their journey to trusting Christ. Father, we pray that, Lord, that... Uh, that that journey would find its roots in Christ and identity in Christ. We pray, Father, for those who are struggling, who are leading that double life, who are, who are, who are being shaken during the week and yet recommit themselves every weekend. Father, we pray for a, a, a courage for them. We pray, Father, for people around them, friends, who will that they'll strengthen each other, they'll pray for each other and stand with each other. And, Father, we pray that as they negotiate their way through the teens, that they would be, Father, vocal in their faith and that they would be an influence in the school in which you have placed them. So we pray for them today in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, the 20-something. I call 20-somethings the, uh, the born to run. It's, it, we lose a lot of people in teen, from teens to 20s. They go to university and they lose it. It's, it happened to, uh, to two of my uh, daughters as well. And uh, they have somewhere along the line uh, found their way back somewhat, if I'm being honest with you. But it was a crucial time in their, their life. Um, but what you find is that their faith either from teens to 20s, either fades or becomes hard-nosed conviction. They either, they either fade or they go, I'm going to go for this here. And it's, it's, a, it's a time of experimentation. You tried lots of things. Priscilla and I were married. Uh, she was 22 and I was 24. Today the average age of marriage is 30 for women and 32 for men. 
It's gone up 10 years almost. And, and so that means that you've got, a, you've got a huge group in their 20s who behave as if they're adolescents. It's, it's, it's just, sorry if you're 20s, but that, that's, you know, I don't want to get on to the millennials, but there, there you go. But, um, and I base it in my own experience because Priscilla and I were so fanatical. We were, part, we were part of the brethren, but we were out almost every night. We did door-to-door. We did open airs. We did coffee bars. We did children's work. Uh, we, we were obsessed with reaching lost people. Uh, there were different fears and different issues, of course, that we faced. But what you find today is that uh, people in their 20s won't stay long or work at causes that are little meaning or purpose. So as a church, you've got to have a clear mission that's compelling and inexhaustible. You've got to, have a, you've got to go, we're, we want to change the world. Honestly, there, there's, there's something you've got to put there. And, and what I found at 20 something is a lot of them aren't hanging about waiting for somebody to change the world. They do it. Just go on Facebook. You, you, what you find is they, they start non-profits from home and they, they make a global impact. And if your church doesn't have a burning sense of purpose and vision, you're going to look lame compared to the average 22-year-old today. And so you've got to motivate people uh, who have vision. It's adventure time. And I think as a church, we need to provide a culture where they can be excessive. And so you find they take a year out, it becomes three, and they never actually get into a career until they're in their 30s. But they need to be full on and addicted. Because you know something, if we don't, then there's a, there's a kingdom that will. And it's a culture of self. It's sexually charged. And unless we give them permission and urge them to be excessive with destiny and purpose, we'll find them putting their energies into sexual urges rather than spiritual quests. The cutting edge is the only place to be when you're in your 20s. We've got to cut them loose. We've got to say, come on, let's do it. If you're in your 20s, would you stand, please? Can I have my water? Can we put our hands on these folks in a very gentle way, appropriate way? Thank you. Lord, we want to bless you and thank you for the incredible privilege it is to be in your 20s. And uh, Father, to have the energy both emotional, spiritual, and physical, to be able to run in the kingdom of God. Father, we pray that you would raise up a generation of runners. Father, folks who who wouldn't slow down, who when people say to them, you're burning the candle at both ends, and they say yes, and in the middle as well, that, Father, they do it for the kingdom of God. Father, we give them permission to be excessive for Jesus, to actually invest in the kingdom of God, and to make this time or, Lord, a time in their lives when they can run and run and run. Father, that you give them a fresh vision, Father, for this church, but, Father, for Craig Avon, for County Armagh, for Northern Ireland and Ireland, and the nations. Father, it wouldn't stop, it wouldn't stop here. Father, some of these people you're going to take to other say, overseas. Some of them will do a few years and come home. But, Lord, we pray they do it with a fresh sense of energy and passion for you. And we commit them to you today in Jesus' name. Amen. It's getting wound up. It's not warm. It's no. 
the thirties. Let's have a go at the thirties here. The the baton of the thirties may well be we are the champions. The reason I say that is because I think it's an age where you champion new things and a new way of doing things. We we started in our own home in 1981, and I was 30. So I'm I'm basing it on my own life. And it was a time when being in the Brethren, you know, I value my tradition and uh, my... Craig, can I have a stool? I just feel a wee bit hot here. Would that be possible? Or you don't mind? Old people need to sit down. A chair... I still would be better uh, if I could possibly get it. And uh, what, what I found was I began to ask the questions, would I bring my friends here? And do I want my children to be brought up in this particular uh, church? And uh, are, we, are we nearly there? I'm, I'm, there we go. That'll do. Yeah, that, that'll, that'll work okay. Yeah, no, that'll, that'll work. Thank you. And if you could move the pulpit, that would, that would do it okay. I don't know what that is. It just sort of slightly, slightly feel... Woozy, yeah, a bit more woozy. That's okay. I'm all right now. Okay, and so what I found was, um, what we found as a as a couple were, uh, we decided that we wanted to do a new church and abandon the old st- old stale ways of doing things. Now I, I I say that because you know I mean bringing somebody to our brethren assembly, and I appreciate my heritage was like bringing your granny to a disco. I got it, but nobody else got it. And so we, we began to, we, we thought we're the only house church in the world. And, and we, we found that we, we, were, we were in a place where there was just something, there was just something missing. And we decided that we would start something new. There were 11 of us to start with. You, you guys have done really well. And uh, we, but in two years, there were eight of us. <laughs> so it, was, it wasn't exactly a big success. And uh, we, uh, we, we questioned the old and we heralded in the new. And, and there's something about, I think, getting into the 20s. Um, we, we found in CFC, we were pushed for space. And I had done, I'd done, we'd done everything we possibly could to get ourselves a uh, new premises. And we just could not do it. And so some, the 20-somethings came to us, thank you, and said, look, why don't we do something called Cafe Church? Now, you know, a lot of people are doing it now, but there wasn't, as far as I know, there weren't anybody else, there wasn't anybody else doing it in Northern Ireland. So what we did was we said, look, let's have a different forum. Uh, we'll, we'll have the, it's church, but it's different. So we ran it cafe style, sitting at tables, coffee, slightly more relaxed, etc. It, it's become really successful. And we, we do two of them then on Sunday morning. So, but it was a 20 something, and I sort of thought, wow, I wish I'd have thought of that. And somebody said, "Yeah, you will, Paul. Don't worry." And and so so there, there's a sense in which being a twenty, sorry, being a thirty-something, it's a twenty, thirty-somethings. And I, I think there's a, the dangers of being thirty is that the transition from twenty to thirty is hard met by Satan. Uh, and sometimes you you can get distracted if you're the main breadwinner to channel your energy uh, with into an obsession with ladder climbing and church takes a very takes a second place and you put your creative juices into your career not that there's anything wrong with that please, please hear me but you begin to ignore church and the importance of that and so if i was the champion as i was of a new order i've got to give space to other people to do the same so if you're in your 30s would you stand please
Craig, would you pray for the third issue? Would that be okay? Thank you. Father God, we thank you for those who are at that stage of life where uh, they are um, perhaps starting family life, starting married life, building a career, uh, establishing themselves in, in, in the future, Lord. And so, God, I just I pray that you would um, help them to excel in every area, not just in career, but, Lord God, keep them focused on kingdom realities. Keep them focused on um, eternal perspectives. Keep them focused on the things that really matter. And, Lord, just bless them in their career. Prosper them in their career. Prosper them in their marriages and their families and those who are single, that they would find somebody. Uh, And, Lord God, but above all, uh, may they seek first your kingdom and your righteousness, knowing that if they do that, everything else is going to be added in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. The 40s. I've called the 40s pillars of strength. The reason I do that is because wherever I've gone, with with one exception, and I've done this before, uh, but somebody in America actually said to me, that, had I ever thought about building a, you know, talk, doing a talk like this? And I sort of had to think about it, what it might look like. So I've done it all over the world, and without exception, the smallest group in every church has been the 40s. Now that that tells me that it's a it's a season that is a, where people can feel marginalised. Uh, and uh, w- w- it's a, it's a, there's insecurity is rife because that changing from 30 to 40 is very significant, significant physically, mentally, and emotionally. It's just it's just one of those things. And uh, and what what I found is this: that if 20s bring passion and 30s bring new ideas, then 40s give strength to it. And I, I say this to you because. Because you're a relatively new church in the sense of the expression of the church that you are. But when we were in CFC, the, the 20s, we gave this incredible passion. You know, it was, we, we prayed all night and we, we continued to do lots of stuff like that. 30s, we began to think about even new, newer ways of doing things. But, but when we got to 40, it was only in our 40s, and, and I was 40, that we created our culture. So we, we, in our 30s in CFC, we knew what we didn't want to be. But we didn't quite know what we did want to be. Now, could I, could I venture to say, you may, you, may th- you may know we don't want to be that, okay? Without being too pointed. I suppose I can't be any more pointed, sure I can. <laughs> but do you understand? But it does take a little bit of a while to work out what you do want to be. And what, so what is Hope Church? What's it going to look like for the future? I mean, you're in your, your 40s, you get it. You know, I mean, it's not that, it's not that no, any other age doesn't have a, an opportunity. But particularly when we got into our 40s, we began to ask that question. What did we want CFC uh, to look like? And I think it's essential that people in their 40s act strategically and begin to plot that for the ones coming up behind them. And they give strength to those who've got more energy than them. They entrust wisdom, their wisdom uh, to those who will do the same thing. So there's, there's something about being a pillar uh, in a church. 
And the, honest, the problem with being a pillar in a church is that, number one, the good thing is that churches don't cave in when you've got pillars in them. But there's not much, it's not very spectacular being a pillow, a pillar in a church. And so I think it's time for the 40s to rise up. Sometime in your 40s, you've got teenage children. That ages you considerably. <laughs> you, you end up running a taxi service. And uh, I remember once Priscilla saying to me, I'd just taken the girls uh, somewhere, and she said, Paul, do you realize that we, we take our children either to be entertained uh, or, or to um, uh, or, or, or to be to be either to be entertained or to experience something. And we take them ice skating. We do the, the ballet. It's it's no wonder that folks in church kids go impress me because that's the, that's the culture they they have. So that 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 does weigh down on you, to be honest with you. But I, I, honestly, for me, I think it's time for the forties to rise up and take the weight of the church. I think you take the weight of the church um, financially, emotionally, strategically, and prayerfully. And so I, I always say to 40-somethings, 40-somethings, get over yourself. <laughs> you know, stop feeling rejected. Quit being cynical. Because cynicism is a cancer in the church. And if, you've been, if you're 40-something, you've been around for 20-odd years. You've heard it and seen it. And bought the t-shirt and read the book. And you've got to stop quitting. So it's time for pillars to rise up. So we love you 40-somethings. If you're here, hey, well done. If you're a 40-something, would you stand up, please? It's not a bad wee, not a bad wee bunch of 40-somethings here. There's not... Why don't, we, why don't we put our hands on these folks, Okay. Put your hand there back. And, hey, 40 something, we love you. I've been a 40 something. It was an incredibly exciting, um, challenging time in my life. Uh, and yet, there were times when I felt my most vulnerable. So, Father, we, we thank you for those who are still here. Lord, all of these people standing can look back at friends of theirs who walked with them in their 20s and 30s and have abandoned their faith. So, Father, we honor these people. We honor them. We say, you are pillars in the church. And we ask them, Father, that they would give wisdom to those who are younger, that they would pour into those, Father, who are still on this journey of faith. And Father, that you would give them a strategic mindset for the future. Lord, not just to know what they don't want to be, but Father, to begin to discover what they do want to be. And that in this uh, season of their life, Father, as they enter into, some of them to have teen, will have teenage kids by the end of their 40s. Some of them already have, are experiencing that. Would you give them more energy, Father? Lord, more courage, would you give them a real sense of commitment to be a pillar in the church? And, uh, and as you come alongside them, even this week, Father, help them to move into that new phase and uh, arena of their life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Now we go to the 50s, the 50-somethings. I, I call the 50s the carer of people. Uh, 
I found the 50s uh, for me was a, a time of spiritual parenting. Something, something shifted. I, I, probably the biggest shift emotionally was in 40 to 50. And, and what, I, what I found was that it gave me an opportunity. I, my, my kids, uh, my youngest uh, daughter was still in, at Sullivan. And, uh, and the other two girls were, were sort of well on in their teens. But nonetheless, but one of the things that they did was they all brought their friends home. And uh, when, I was, when I was a boy, that might make a confession. It's not mine, but in 19, my parents split up in, in 1967. And, uh, and I went to Methody in a, of a school of 2,000 people. Uh, as far as Linda and I knew, we were the only two whose parents were divorced. Now, that probably wasn't the case. But people would come up to you in the corridor and say to you, are, are you the guy whose parents are divorced? You know, you feel like, hey, I'm suffering enough. Give me a break, for goodness sake, you know. But it was very, what I'm trying to say, it was, it was really rare. Uh, but what, what, do you, what do you find today? I, I spent time with a, a principal of a school recently, uh, a school of uh, almost 700. Now, it was in America, but not a, not a bad, it, literally last week. And uh, he said, of the 700 pupils... 6% of the school had their natural parents living together and they were living, they were living with them. In other words, there were about 50 or so pupils out of 700 who, whose parents weren't separated. Now, it's not the same in Northern Ireland, but honestly, it's going that way. And, and that's not that. You, you, and you can hold your head and go, "This is terrible." But actually, what you find is there's a whole there's a whole section of, of kids. And Priscilla and I did it with uh, our girls' friends. We did kitchen sink counselling to them. In other words, as we sat around the table and they had meals with us, we just talked to them about our life and our faith. And they were incredibly drawn to people who who had a stable marriage, and, and it became a time for us for spiritual parenting, even though it wasn't quite worked out. And, and so what I'd say to you is that if you're in your 50s, there's a, there's a generation of spiritual orphans and, and literal orphans around who's, who have never had any parenting, no father, uh, and a mother struggling, mostly a mother struggling to keep things going. If you're a single parent, I salute you. My mum was a single parent. And honestly, she she gave it her best shot. It wasn't it, she, no no, perf, no parents are perfect, but if you're a single mom, we honour you today, and we need to support our single moms. But if you're in your fifties in particular, there's this whole sense of I, I think it's a time of reinvention of stuff that gets put put away during your early parenting days. You you sometimes you get. I had lots of prophetic words about traveling and doing things, you know, but I wasn't able to do it until I got into my 50s because the girls were up and, and there was, it meant more retirement, new friendships and, uh, and just something changing. The average age of divorce is 52. So it's, it's quite a challenging time. And we've heard it said before, your kids leave home at 18, they go to university, and then you've never really built a relationship with the person that you're with. And you look across the table and you go, who are you? It's a really challenging time as well. But, and it's the time when you're more, more likely to lose your job than any other time in your 50s. So these are, I mean, this, I, could, I, I, I got these facts from Google, so you know, that's how I know these things. 
And just a simple one, as a, as a, as a deal with this one. I, I was 56, and uh, in CFC, we were building a new £7 million building. Uh, we know how that went. It was the credit crunch year, and uh, it didn't happen. But in the middle of it all, I was listening to a man. I'd invited some speakers throughout the month of um, January 2008, uh, and, and your own bishop was one of them. Uh, was Harold Bishop Harold was absolutely fantastic, and uh, and I invited other people just to speak into the life of CFC, and one of them as one of them was speaking, it was Andrew McCourt. I felt the Lord prompt, prompt me and say, "That's your successor." Whereupon I said, "Well, how's that going to work? Because I'm not going anywhere." <laughs> <laughs> but it's funny, you know. Edmund Burke, the Irish philosopher, once said, "Every conviction was a whim at birth." Every conviction was a whim at birth. In other words, what we look back as the booming voice of God was actually just a little, and that's what it was like then. And, and that was in my mid-50s, and it took several years to work that out. But nonetheless, it was a time of change. But it, it, I, and I went from caring of a carer of people to a broader sense of caring and being involved in a wider church. And, and so if you're a 50-something it's a big change in your life. Would you stand if you're 50-something, please? Let's see the 50-somethings. Yeah, that's a good... Wow. Okay. Let's pray for the 50s, will we? Father, we thank you for a generation of spiritual parents. Some of them are parents in the natural. Some aren't, but Father, they all can be spiritual parents. Investing in the life, Father, of a generation of young people who are orphans. Lord, not in the literal sense, but in the sense that Father is missing. Mother could be struggling. Father, would you put these people who are standing, Lord, with their spiritual experience and their wisdom and their heart for you, Father, would you give them a greater influence among their, their children's friends, among kids who will come to this church. Father, may they scoop them up in their arms and invest in them. Father, in these days of change in their life, Father, we pray that you would bring into reality some of the things that were spoken over them maybe a few years ago that they haven't seen come to pass. Father, this would be a time uh, for reinvention, Father, of what you've called them to do. But Lord, we pray that this would be a time when they could move from one season of life into the next. And that, Father, they don't see themselves as, well, I've been there and done it, I'm going to retire. Father, you give them a fresh passion even today to invest in the kingdom of God. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. Please be seated. And, and finally, I'm not going to do the 70s and 80s, okay? It's just 60s and above, all right? Because I, <laughs> I would be here quite a while. I, 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 call the, I call the band of 60s guardians of the vision, guardians of the vision. Now, what I mean by that is this, that I think you not only care for the flock, but you help others through the, the transitions. I, I, I find people, you know, going from 40 to 50 and 50 to 60 often say to me, I'm really struggling. And I go, you know, something, it's not what it was, but, but it's different, but it's good. It's not, what, it's not what it used to be. 
in the sense of it, it's different. And, and so I, I say it's really good in releasing. You, you, but you find that particularly coming into your 60s and 70s, your emotional energies change. You can't cope with the same amount of stuff. I, I was speaking at a church recently, and I went, I went early. It was midweek, and they were having a special do. And I want to be really careful what I say. And uh, I, I, I was standing just at the back, and somebody, I got talking to this lady, and uh, she said to me, uh, are you, do you go to this church? She didn't know who I said, no, I'm just in for the first time. I didn't let on who I was. And, uh, and I said, do you go here? Yeah, too, but it, I've been here two years. I don't like it. <laughs> and then, then she said to me, then she said, I used to go to Baptist, but didn't like it either. And then she said, when I went to Vineyard, I didn't like it either. And then and she, gave, she proceeded to give me a good 10 minutes of what she didn't like about church. And uh, honestly, it sucked the life out of me. It absolutely emotionally drained me. And I thought to myself, I would, honestly, Craig, seriously, nobody knows what it's like to be a pastor of a church unless you've been one. Emotionally, you carry, the, the lead, there's an incredible sense of team leadership, but the lead couple carry a weight that nobody really understands. It's only when you leave it that you realize what it's like. Now, the reason I say that is because when I, when it, when I handed it over and I got to that place, I, I found my emotional energies were drained and there was something very, uh, just something changed in that. And uh, I think 60s can provide wisdom and to see the whole church flourish. Most people in their 60s are involved in caring, pastoring, and evangelism. Our biggest supporters of Alpha, and we have, we have uh, CFC, we've done nearly 60 Alpha courses, seen hundreds and hundreds of people come to faith. And Craig's brought quite a few, few to that over the years, uh, many years ago. And, and so what we found is a lot of our folks in our 60s have reinvented themselves and are really involved in reaching out into our community. We've got a bit more spare time, and there's a sense in which uh, they, they're providing, a, they're a huge asset to advance the kingdom of God. The main temptation is to, is to be critical and hark back to the good old days. Honestly, the grumpy old man didn't come about, that, that phrase didn't come about by accident. You know, it did because that's what happens. And, uh, and I, I found whenever, whenever I was succeeded by Andy and then got into my 60s, I, somebody, Andy said to me one day, what did you think about that? He'd made cert, a, a certain change. It wasn't, I mean, it was a cosmetic thing. And I said, I hate it. But if anybody asks me, I love it. Uh, because my job was to support him and encourage him. Uh, and so there's something about about being a a 60-something that gives you the chance to reinvent yourself in an incredible way. Priscilla was at a, has done for three years in a row a, a ladies' Bible study conference. It's called quite a, it was originally a brethren thing. It's in Turkey. And the, the first time she went, uh, everybody, there was 150 women there. And she said 120 were over 60 and 70 and 80. And 30 were in their 20s. And she thought, I, I laughed at her. She thought, what am I doing with all these old people? <laughs> and, uh, 
And what she said was, she realized that the, the 30 women in their 20s had all been brought to Christ through the older women. All of them, without exception. And one of them, one of the ladies who was 79 was training to be a street pastor. And Priscilla said, when I grow up, I want to be like you. <laughs> and so there's something about being uh, 60 and above uh, that gives you an incredible investment in the church. Not just to look back and go, well, I've done my bit, but actually help the rest of the church make those transitions and to actually help people to go into the next phase of their life. So, if you're able, <laughs> and you're over 60, <laughs> would you stand? And I'm standing with you. Becky, maybe you'd come and pray for us, would you? The 60s, okay? Hey. Father, we thank you so much for this uh, group of mighty warriors amongst us, Lord. Thank you for the wisdom that each of them carry. And we just declare life over them in abundance. And we shake off the old and we declare a life in abundance, life and wholeness, new vision, new mindset, new eyes, um, new strength, new hope, new passion. We declare it over you and we call it forth in Jesus' name. And we give great thanks for you. In your name we pray. Amen. 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 Let's give a big hand to our 60s and above. Come on. Honestly, I think uh, creating an intergenerational church is a clear way to creating a very powerful 21st century church, which holds all the strengths of each generation. Uh, and I think it's our greatest challenge. I, I, you know, I, I think that's one of, the, one of the real challenges we have for the future. Most new churches tend to be younger in age. And, and there's, there's several reasons for that. Number one, because young people are more responsive to the gospel. And many of you will have come to Christ in your teens, as I, as I did as a 16-year-old. Uh, and also, but I think sometimes we have, there's an inability for people to move from one phase of life to the next. Life is long. It's getting longer. And I hope in my case it'll be really long. But while we give huge effort to get new people through the front door, Let's not stand idly by and see people disappear quietly out the, outside the back door when they were actually designed to complete all six stages of life, worshipping God and serving God. The greatest challenge for you personally is to successfully navigate your next transition into the next phase of your life. If you do it well, you'll model it out to others in the next generation and encourage them to do the same. And if you do it well, the results could be staggering. Thank you.